2 Corinthians chapter 5. And just for historic reference, this is probably the third book, third letter that's written to the church at Corinth. Uh, The first letter, obviously, is 1 Corinthians. And then there's this reference to the severe letter that is made. So um, Paul had to slap them around in love a little bit and get their attention and refocus it. And now we have the third, we call it 2 Corinthians, um, which is a, a, a little bit more instruction. Remember, they were a new church, how it is that they are to work out and live out their Christian faith. That's what Paul is writing about. So if you're able, would you stand with me as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll begin in verse 11. Our Heavenly Father, bring your Holy Spirit today that uh, our eyes and hearts might be open, that our minds uh, uh, attune to what you say and what you have for us, that we might live it out, that we in lives of holiness and boldness would declare the things of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you, again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you might be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation." The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, and who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Now, everything that you heard from Dan last week, and everything that you're going to hear for the next few weeks, is predicated on these truths. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through him. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Believers are commanded to make disciples. Making disciples can be messy. It involves time. It involves relationship. It involves personal investment. But yet we are called to make disciples. It is not an option for us. It is not to be left to the professionals in ministry. It is the job of every believer to make disciples. Okay? Remember in, in Matthew, there, that, that wonderful passage, the command is not to go. 
Go into all the world and make disciples. The command is to make disciples, linguistically speaking. Okay, it is assumed you'll be going, might be your neighborhood, might be uh, Huntsville, it might be the Middle East. Make disciples. And number four, non-believers must and can only hear the gospel from those who believe. The world will not share the gospel with them. Only the church, that's the capital C, the big church, only we who have lives that have been changed by the gospel. We're the only ones who have it, so we have to give it away. We have to make the disciples. Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one in whom they have not believed? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone to preach? And it's not preaching up here that he's talking about. It is preaching here, one-to-one, one-to-three, one-to-four. That's what he's talking about. Now, there, we have the Gideons in every year, and it's great to hear the stories of somebody in a hotel room who picked up the Gideon Bible in a moment of crisis and, and read it, and their life was changed. People do that. The vast majority of people who have lives that are changed by Christ do so because a believer loved them and shared the gospel with them. The question for the coming weeks is, well, how do we share the gospel? What well, doesn't sound like a very hard question if we have been changed by the love of Christ and are filled with that love, then we should want everybody that we know to come to that same conclusion, to experience that love and have their life changed as well. So over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to look at various passages, Old Testament, New Testament, uh, church history, um, uh, relative to evangelism and how it's been done and what it means. We're going to look at how culture has shaped various ways uh, that we do evangelism. We're going to look at how it looks today. James is going to come up from Chelsea and tell us the story of how he went from just he and Larissa in Chelsea to having 50 people every Sunday uh, averaging in worship, how that happened. And most importantly, we'll look into how each of us can use the gifts and personality that we've been given. My personality is different than yours. Um, you might be more boisterous. You might be quieter. You might be shy. You might be outgoing. We each have personality. We each have gifts. And we are called to use them to make the gospel known, to make Jesus known. Now, before you throw your hands up and go, gee, I'm going to be uncomfortable listening to that stuff because I don't know how to do it or I'm not very good at doing it, let me give you a quote from D.L. Moody. Moody was having a little dispute with someone about how Moody did evangelism. So Moody's response to him is, well, it's clear you don't like the way I'm doing evangelism. You raised some good points, but I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. Okay, and that sums it up. Okay, that sums it up. Is there a perfect way to do evangelism? No, but we do it. Okay, I, 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 I can't tell you the number of times I have been pitiful sharing the gospel, and yet the Lord does a great work. And other times I have been so smooth, and what I think is so intellectually right on and scripturally, and the person goes, oh, cool, and nothing happens. The church, that's believers, we are uniquely qualified to offer the gospel. One of the core purposes of the church is to make disciples, who will then go and do what? Make disciples. That's why all our church planters, as an example, 
because church planting is a great way. It's one of the best ways to do evangelism. In their DNA is they're going to be a church that plants other churches. Okay? It is not just, hey, let's go and get a church right here and we'll gather the troops and we'll just be one happy family. No, it's about multiplication, taking the gospel further out into the world. Now, the tools for the job may differ throughout history. We might use, in today's world, things like uh, English as a second language class. We might use food banks, VBS, uh, barbecue. Remember, James's first capital expenditure in his church plant was a smoker that held 24 butts, and he has gotten his money out of that smoker, I want to tell you. Okay, we have constructed hospitals, various other things to help us with the mission. But ultimately, if we don't share the gospel of Christ, it's all for naught. Okay, it's all for naught. So if the church doesn't give them Jesus, we don't have anything else to offer the world that they can't get someplace else. First day in one of my classes in seminary in, in Pittsburgh, and this was a shock because it was in, in the Pittsburgh Seminary, the professor stands up and says, you're here because we're going to train you to help you give them Jesus and to present Jesus Christ. And if you're not here to help present Jesus Christ, there is a fine university right down the street, Pittsburgh, and you can get a social work degree down there. He said, social work is an honorable profession, but it is not gospel ministry. There's a distinction between helping people loving people, and loving people because the love of Christ compels us to, with our goal to share the gospel with them. Our lack of sharing the gospel subtly affirms in the hearts of non-believers that they're not really lacking anything, okay, or that their material, their immediate, their felt needs are the main issues in their lives. And Jesus can be added onto it whenever they're ready, maybe 5th, 6th, 17th, 18th priority in their life, but not their first. If, we're, if it's not our first priority, it will not be theirs. Remember, we're in this world to glorify God and enjoy him forever, to make much of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior to point people to him, to encourage people to greater spiritual maturity. And, and the danger is if we don't do it, we, and I'm just talking about here at Central, if we don't do it, God may pick up the Holy Spirit and go someplace else and do it. That's a danger, okay? So what should we do? We'll all go this week and invite somebody to church, right? Well, yeah, that's good. That's good. According to the report from LifeWay Research, nearly two-thirds of Protestant churchgoers say they've invited somebody to church in the last six months. Okay? Scott McConnell, who's the executive director there, says, In any six-month stretch, there are major Christian holidays and often other special events that are perfect occasions for churchgoers to invite friends and acquaintances. And research shows that 70% of converts to Christianity the most important factor to them was a believer loved them and shared Christ with them. That's why they came to church. Now, the church growth expert, Wynne Arne, writes, We asked over the last 10 years more than 50,000 people why they went to church. Okay, 
how they first went to church, not why they go now, but why they first went to church. And more than 75% of the respondents said, because somebody I cared about invited me. 75 plus percent. But we do have to realize there are drawbacks to relying only upon Sunday morning to influence people for the gospel. Jesus never invited anybody to the synagogue. Okay? What did he invite them to? To life. He invited them into his life, or in the Zacchaeus, he invited himself into Zacchaeus' life. They say, I'm coming to your house today. Okay? Think about it. If, you're, if, if you've never been to church before and you walk in here on a Sunday morning, our language that we use in church is different. The songs we sing are different. Our liturgy, the structure of our service to the uninformed or to the non-believer seems strange. Why? Church is designed for the believer. It's designed for those whose life has been, have been changed and have come to worship the God who has given them salvation. The non-believer is like a fish out of water. They're not a non-believer. Okay? We welcome them. We, we want to love on them. We care for them. But you walk into a place where you don't know the language, you don't know the, the way things are happening, and you don't understand, what are they talking about? They don't understand because their hearts have not been changed yet. Fish out of water. So how is it that Jesus and his followers changed the world? They didn't have a follow-up card. They didn't have a uh, how-to manual into how to change the world. They just went and lived and preached the gospel. Jesus showed them. He led by example. He invited people into his life. The transformation that came in his followers' lives because they were first in relationship with him. They walked with him. Think of those 12. They walked with him for three years. Saw him eat, saw him do miracles, listened to the messages. They were part of him. That was discipleship. And then one of them turned out to be a traitor. After all that Judas heard, he still didn't believe. Still didn't believe. It is safe to assume that for those of us who are believers, that the example of Christ is still the best way to do discipleship. Now, an invitation to church should probably be a part of that at some point. Might be the first time, might be after a hundred interactions. I don't know. But we're finding more and more in society, the literature is showing, that people want an invitation into life, an invitation into your life, so that you can love them, so that you can care for them, and some some part of that is, eventually, you're going to share the gospel with them, because you're the only one who has it. So that begs the question, does evangelism fit into your life? Um, Rosaria Butterfield, who wrote the, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, says, now in the past, evangelism has been viewed as an activity we add to our lives such as telling someone about Jesus during lunch or holding an event specifically designed for evangelism. She thinks instead we need to change our lives so that we live in an evangelistic lifestyle, not a life that has added evangelism onto it, but a life that is evangelistic. Lifestyle evangelism combines proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel has to be presented. 
But Paul also talks about in Ephesians 4, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Clearly, there is a particular lifestyle that the believer is called to live. Peter, 1 Peter says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. This implies our lives should be lived in such a way that others are curious about our faith and we are always ready to talk about it. It's an evangelistic lifestyle. Now, in our passage, in in chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul is kind of defining evangelism for us in various ways. And and I'm just going to kind of paraphrase those two chapters here. It's an open statement, and I'm quoting quoting InterVarsity here. It's an open statement of the truth that Jesus is Lord, given in the power of God, controlled by the love of Christ, to persuade people through love to be reconciled to God. All right, so what's evangelism? Well, we're first going to look at what evangelism is not. Okay, what evangelism is not. I've got five things for you. Evangelism is not defined by a positive response. Evangelism is not outcome-based because we cannot control the outcome. That's God's job. It is an activity-based event. Okay, it is an activity of believers. The essence of our role in evangelism is not to make converts. We, we desire for people to be converted, but conversion is God's work. I can't change a heart. Only God can change a heart. Our job is to proclaim the message. God's job is regeneration. God's job is to bring life into a dead heart. He's done it here. He can do it to anybody. Christians are to spread the call to repent to warn people of the coming judgment, to tell people of God's salvation through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. Now, many people have, have shared with me the fear of evangelism, fear. I'm afraid people will hate me afterwards because I'll be uh, into their business, or uh, I'm afraid they'll reject me, and, and it will re- re- reflect poorly on me. It's God's business to change a heart. Remember what Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the growth. God's job is regeneration, our job is to declare that truth. That's it. Second, evangelism is not deceitful. You know, there are some hard things in scripture. Maybe if we just don't talk about them, okay? Or maybe if I soften them, it'll be more interesting, more, there'll be more interested in believing paul says in first thessalonians our appeal does not spring from error or uncleanness nor is it made with guile second corinthians we have renounced disgraceful underhanded ways we refuse to practice cunning the gospel is the power of god to salvation i don't have to change it i don't have to water it down the lord will use it in the way that he wants there's no bait and switch here in the gospel when it comes to evangelism Christian life, certainly, is not all peaches and cream, and and we know that. 
Christ promised we will face persecution. We will face trial. There is no guarantee that suddenly life will be easy when you become a Christian. But he also promised that we'll know the fullness of the life we were created to have. Third, we do not distort the gospel in evangelism. We share the whole truth. The, whole, the truth and nothing but the truth. That's what we share. We don't tamper with God's word to make it more palatable. We don't live out, leave out those little things like, uh, well, you do have to turn from your sin. You know, that's part of it. Uh, we don't soft sail. We don't fail to mention that Jesus is Savior and Lord, Lord of our lives, and that he who wants his salvation without his lordship will have no salvation at all. To tell people that becoming a Christian means all your troubles are going to evaporate and your wallet will be full, that's just a lie. That's a lie. It certainly wasn't true in the New Testament. Four, evangelism is not better branding. You know, if we just get a slicker presentation... If we just redo our website, people will come to church. If we just, you know, um, in the old days, in the 70s, uh, at large churches, I had a professor who told us this story. He was in a large church in Arizona. They had a giant Sunday school program. I mean, thousands of kids every week. You know why? They gave quarter to every kid who showed up at Sunday school. Okay? And quarter, that was pretty good in the 70s. You know, you get some stuff with a quarter. Um, but it was, it was like, wow, yeah. So they, they, they would show up with this big thing of quarters, and every kid got a quarter. Okay? Hmm. We don't need a better sales pitch. Society, the, the people in, in the world today have been marketed uh, and and, and, and advertised to by every media source that, that there is. Advertisement is not evangelism. So what do they want if they don't want more, better marketing? Depth. Depth. Depth only comes with time. Depth comes with relationship. Depth of meaning. Depth of love. In a superficial culture, depth becomes attractive. And a vacuous culture has produced a longing for depth. And if the church attempts to use short-term things, we better have a bunch of gimmicks lined up. Because the world uses gimmicks. That's why, you know, there's a new sitcom every week because that one didn't go. So they got to do something else. Depth. The strength of relationship lay in its depth and endurance. And number five, that's the easy one. Evangelism is not optional. Go therefore and make disciples. That's just what we do. That's what we are called to do. Failure to tell people about Christ is not laziness. It's disobedience. All right. What do I need to do to be an evangelist? What do I need to have? You need to be a follower of Christ. That's pretty simple. You can't give away what you don't have. Okay? If you don't have Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can't give him away. Okay? If you're faking Christianity, it's going to show It's going to show. Secondly, you need to love people. I refer to what Dan said last week. We are all created in the image and likeness of God. We are all of worth and value. Remember what you were like before you were a Christian. Somebody loved you. 
Somebody cared about you. Somebody took the time to invest in your life. It might have been your parents. It might have been a mentor of some sort. It might have been a combination of quite a few people. But they loved you and took the time to invest in you. We need to realize the condition of those who are outside of Christ. They are hopelessly lost. They are spiritually dead. There's no hope for them unless the gospel comes into their life. How will the gospel come? We who have it will share it. Faith comes from hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Acts chapter 4, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. Next one. We need to be where non-believers are. Now Christians often disengage themselves from much of Christian society. The longer you're a Christian, the studies show, the more Christian friends you have. The more you hang out with your Christian friends, the less you do with non-Christian friends. You may work in an an environment where there are non-believers, but those close relationships tend towards people like us. It's just a natural thing. But people will gravitate to where they are most valued. People will gravitate to where they're most valued. It might be the gym. They love me at the gym. I walk in and it's like cheers. Randy! They don't know me at the gym. I'm kind of low key, okay? But that's what happens. People, if, if, if we stood here and everybody who walked in and we said, Ron, good to see you. And we did that for 150 people. They, you'd feel... You might get self-conscious, but you feel good. You feel valued. People gravitate to where they're valued. The gym, the garden club, the country club, a friend's backyard, a neighbor's driveway to eat barbecue in and watch football. If you work at valuing people, you listen to them. They will gravitate to where they are listened to, where they are cared for, and eventually the opportunity will be to share Christ. Next, we need to listen to people. It's not just, I'm waiting for you to be done talking so I can talk. We have to listen to them. We can't just drop little spiritual bombs and assume that they'll work. That's not realistic. You ask the person, how can I help you in this? And then you stay with them. That's personal investment. You address the problem. You bring in God. You confirm there is hope through him. And then you stick with them throughout it. That's the messy part of discipleship making. That's in personal investment in the lives of others. That's the love of Christ. Love is not gooey sentiment in this case. It is godly service. Godly service. Next, the believer needs to get the message clear. You've got to have something to share. Okay? You've got to know how to share it. And, and you know, we talk about, okay, you're in an elevator and you've got 30 floors, 30 seconds. Can you share the gospel in 30 seconds? Hmm. You're going to go over lunch and somebody looks at you and says, man, I'm having a hard time with this. Can you help me with this? Or it may take 50 conversations before you share the gospel with somebody. Because they're so hesitant. They, they're going to keep you out here and finally, after all those interactions, you're you're allowed into their lives. And suddenly those words of the gospel have life to them. The life-giving power of Christ. Expect to be used in your conversations for Christ. 
uh, it's been a lot of years since I told you this, but uh, Tony Evans, who was a, a sociology professor, Christian, um, was on a plane, and he was sure that he was supposed to evangelize this woman sitting next to him. So he sits on the plane, and you know, you're, you're jammed back in there, and he says, I'm just praying, I'm zapping her with like prayer, and I'm just praying away. And for four hours on the plane, that's all he did was pray for this woman. And they land and get up and go, I guess I must have been wrong. And so they get up, they get their stuff out of the overhead, and they're, they're walking out of the plane, and the woman stops and turns around and says, I'm just having a terrible day. Can you help me with this? I don't believe there's God. And, and at first he couldn't speak because he was so shocked. Okay, like, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I can do that. But, but you have to be ready. You have to be ready. Expect to be used for evangelism in your life. And this might be my favorite one. Eloquence is not required for evangelism. Okay? <laughs> you do not have to be slick. Okay? You have to be biblical. You have to love in the way that Christ loved us. Albert Einstein once said, if you're out to describe the truth, you should leave the eloquence to the tailor. Well, I read that quote, and I said, what does that mean? So I had to look up about five people to explain it to me. A well-tailored suit is a beautiful piece of clothing. Okay, Let the tailor do that. When you're out for truth, truth can sometimes be messy. It can be complex. Um, Embrace the mess. Embrace the investment into other people's lives. Now, I can't say that it's going to pay off every time. But that's the way people want. They want depth. They want you to know. They want to know you care. Our pitiful efforts can be used for his glory. Maybe you're a very shy person. Maybe you think, well, I'm not really theologically educated. Uh, how can I share the gospel? I don't know how to use those rich theological words that Randy uses that nobody really understands except him. Okay, how can I do that? This is what? In Kairos, when we go to the prison, we have four words we're supposed to use. Listen, listen, love, love. People know you're listening, and when they go on and on and you listen some more, then you have the chance to love them, love them more, and share the gospel with them. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you provide for us the opportunities to love on other people, to invite them into our lives to open ourselves up to them. But we're hesitant. Because it can be a, a scary thing to invite your neighbors over to the house. I don't even know them. Make sure you serve food. To approach someone and listen to them in their sorrows listen to them in their trials and demonstrate your care and your willingness to invest in their lives. The gospel is the answer to their problem. And we have been uniquely fitted because our lives have been changed. Uniquely fitted to share it. 
but also to demonstrate the love that you have shown to us. Heavenly Father, in the coming weeks, as we chew on this topic of how we live and how we share our faith, might we more and more embrace that expectation of an evangelistic lifestyle, to be expected to have the opportunities to care for others and to share the gospel with them. Lord, fix these things in our hearts so that we are not taken by surprise, but we just see it as a natural outcome of striving to live in a godly and holy fashion. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please join me as we sing verse 1 and 2 of hymn 401 as he gathered at his table. Sunday school, we were talking about the necessity to live in the world and to be with non-believers, but not get so consumed with that that we lose what we find here. And like a rechargeable battery, we need to hook up with the source of who we are and what we're about. And then when we're charged up, we need to be ready to go back into society and live the faith, and proclaim the faith, and get beat up a little bit, maybe see some success, whatever the Lord has for us, but are recharging the sweetness of the fellowship. It is our personal devotion time. It is our prayer time. It is spending time with other believers, just telling them what we're facing, tell them our successes, our failures, whatever it would be. This is one of those times 
to be recharged. This is a, a means of God's grace. Worship, prayer, fellowship, the sacraments. These are things that remind us of what the Lord has done, what he calls us to do, and how he does not leave us as orphans. He says, I'm going to go away, Christ said, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to live with inside you, to sustain you. I'm going to give you things, these common elements, to remind you of the grace of to remind you of the sacrifice of Christ and his atoning blood. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are sinful men and women. There is no question about that. We are imperfect. Uh, We can be pitiful. We can be feeble. Um, We can pursue our own desires uh, so often. But yet Christ has given his life for us. You have placed your hand upon us and drawn us unto yourself and you realize our imperfections. We desire to grow and we desire to mature in the things of faith, Heavenly Father. It is a difficult road in this world to do so. world that offers so many things to take our attention away from you, to entice us to follow the shallowness, the vacuousness, of what is offered out there. When our hearts long for that deep relationship with you and with one another. Lord, we come to your table because you have called us and you've made the way. And you said as your church, I want you to be here. I want you to know what these things point to. I want you to know my presence in your life in the midst of these things. Lord, we don't come with hearts that are right, but we want you to make them right. So we take a moment of silent prayer to confess our own sin to you. Heavenly Father, we ask your forgiveness upon these and upon all those that we didn't get to. That our heart's desire would be to live holy lives and walk in the power of Christ. We give you thanks that we can and that that road is a hard road, but it is worth it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So all that have professed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are welcome to partake in the Lord's Supper today. As the elders pass the plates among you, you'll notice the cups are stacked. There's two. Make sure you grab two cups. One is the bread. One is the juice. Hold those elements until all have been served, and we will take them together. So on the night that he was betrayed, after praying, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Then in like manner, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. My blood that has been shed for you. As often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until his return. Let us show the Lord's death. Let us know his power available to us in our lives through the presence of the Holy Spirit.